We're going to come to the Word again tonight and we're back into the book of Acts and uh, we're coming into chapter 5 today because last time we remember that we looked at um, the prayer meeting that they held um, after they'd been told to no longer teach, preach in the name of Jesus and Acts 4 says um, when they prayed the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And so we're coming into Acts chapter 5 now and I'm going to read verses 12 to 16 which we will eventually arrive at and we'll see how far we get this evening with what I've got to share. Because I'm just finding that every time I go back to it, it's as if God just shows me something else. And I have to add something else in, and then something else in. So I just pray that what I just feel is on my heart from meditating on these scriptures will bless us tonight. But we're going to read verses 12 to 16 of chapter 5. <coughs> Remembering that it says in 31 of the previous verse that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Then verse 12 of chapter 5. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. The verses that I've read there, verses 12 to 16, they follow on from <clears throat> the account in the first verses of that chapter where we read about Ananias and Sapphira. And we find that initially they've lied to Peter, but as we read in the text, ultimately they had lied to the Holy Spirit. And we discover that it brings devastating consequences and just imagine the scene as we read verse 5 and I add a line into verse 5 from verse 4 when Ananias heard these words then these are the words from verse 4 you have not lied to man but to God he fell down and breathed his last and great fear came upon all who heard of it imagine what's happened Ananias drops dead just like that and not surprising it says that great fear came upon all who heard about it and I can't help wondering today, as I've read this portion of scripture and have gone through it and over it and pondered it, meditated upon it, 
And I cannot help but wonder, where is the reverential fear and awe for God today? Where is it? Surely, as we consider this account, God is more gracious and more merciful than we actually realise when we see what is going on in so-called Christian circles and churches today that is bringing dishonour to God and to the name of Jesus. Not only with some of what is considered to be acceptable practice in churches, but what seems to be acceptable commitment. For just as Ananias made a commitment to give, and yet willingly he withheld. And so we commit ourselves to living and serving Jesus, and yet sadly, so many so often willingly withhold their lives from him. And if that wasn't enough, there is more. Because the scripture tells us that three hours later, his wife does the very same thing. And whoosh, just like that, she is also dead. And verse 10 says, when the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And notice that in the case of Ananias, it says, Great fear came upon those who heard about what had happened. But this time with his wife, it says, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. And I wonder, how come Sapphira hadn't already heard about what had happened to her husband? The news would have spread fast. The text also seems to imply, just remember this is only a three hour gap, but the text also seems to imply that he had already been buried. And I would answer, and it's the only answer I can give, is that God delayed the news from getting to her because she needed to face the same test. What would she say? And what <coughs> would she do? And oh, that the fear and reverence and awe of God would fill the hearts of believers again, giving God his due respect, due honour and glory, not only through the sacrifice of praise through our lips, but by the sacrifice of our lives upon the altar, living ever and only for his will and his purposes. Imagine that you breathed your last breath living dishonestly before God. It's frightening, isn't it? Living your last breath living dishonestly before God. And that's what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. See, we can hide a lot from each other. We can look as if all is well. Even sing with gusto the words of the hymn that we did join in with on Tuesday morning, singing, it is well with my soul. And yet, in reality, 
we can be far from where we should be and what we should be as the people of God. Ephesians chapter 2, the great chapter about God's grace and God's mercy. Paul says in verse 10, speaking of all that have come to faith, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, we haven't been saved to sit back on our laurels. We have been saved to live for Jesus. And being his workmanship means that we should constantly be evolving more and more each day into what he intends for us to be as individual sons and daughters and involving into what he intends for us to be doing. But the sad fact of the matter today is this, that too many are just satisfied to say, well, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I'll just sit back and look on. And Romans 12 verses 1 to 2 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so we see from the word of God that God says to each one of us, no, don't sit back and look on. I have something for each one of you to do. And we need to come before him with open hearts, to stand before him in reverential fear and say, here I am, Lord. What is it you're wanting to do to make me into the person I need to be to do what it is that you're calling me to do? And when we are found in this place, we will no longer have the time for the world that we so willingly give to it because we will want to live out that which is his eternal plan and purpose. We want to give all that we have and are for the glory of his wonderful name. And going back to the narrative of Ananias and Sapphira, after promising to follow Jesus, we have to ask ourselves this question, how much of our time, how much of our talent, how much of what we have are we holding back from God? The words of the well-known hymn says, Love so amazing and so divine demands my soul, my life, my all. God has given us our lives. God has given us our time. God has given us our talents. And he's given it to us to be used to only bring glory to his name. And so it is that following on from this narrative concerning Ananias and Sapphira, I felt I couldn't just leave them out. I had to bring something from it, a challenge from it. We get to verses 12 to 16, which I'm going to read again. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. 
none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. I don't know, but if we had to put a word to describe what that chapter or those verses were about, we'd just have to say something like, well, two words, really, absolutely amazing. As they went out in the power of the Holy Spirit and declared the name of Jesus, it's just incredible, these things, the scenes that were happening and the, the men and women that were coming to know Jesus as Saviour and Lord. And can I suggest, linking it with where we've already been, that from these verses, given the context in which we find them, that it was when the people truly came to the place of reverential awe, with great fear before God, that it resulted in what followed in these verses. And verse 12 again, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. When we truly come to that place of falling before God with reverential fear, surrendering our lives to him, I believe we'll see things happening to the glory of God. And secondly, we also see and it didn't just lead to signs and wonders, but verse 14 says that more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. And I love that phrase, more than ever. This is an early church. It's not probably very old. And yet it's saying more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Now, we need to stop and think about this. Because in Acts chapter 2, following the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, it says that there were 3,000 souls saved. That is an extraordinary number. Wouldn't we not agree? By the time we get to Acts chapter 4 and verse 4, it tells us another 2,000 had been saved. For it says that the number of men came to be about 5,000. Now this is the interesting thing taking that number 5,000. If we follow the same principle that is used in John's Gospel, where we read of the narrative of the feeding of the 5,000, it tells us there that this number didn't include the women and children. So the number that were fed far exceeded 5,000. And so we can assume, therefore, that there were also many more than 5,000 believers at this point in Acts chapter 4, verse 4. And if only we could see a fraction of this replicated amongst us today, I'd be thrilled with one song. Mm -hmm. Would we not? And yet, the numbers here were staggering. But then when we come to our verses for today, it says that more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Well, this surely must mean that the growth 
on this time, at this time, was absolutely phenomenal. More than ever. Remember, 5,000 pri prior to this, and maybe now, the numbers were such and so large that it was now getting too difficult to track and to record the numbers down. And thirdly then we find that it led people coming from afar to see what was happening and to have their needs met. Verse 16, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the power of God was such in this place as we met week after week, the news would get about, and as we were meeting on a Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, Friday evening, whenever the doors were open and we as God's people were found in this place, wouldn't it be wonderful that news about us was such that people came from villages and towns away from here because they knew that the power of God was in this place? It can happen. If we're willing to come to that place of total surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and living only and ever for him. And fourthly, we need to also understand that all the disciples did and achieved was, as we've already seen in the previous chapter, because they had spent time waiting in the presence of God for the outpouring of and the infilling of the Holy Spirit to give power and anointing as they went out in the name of Jesus. I think that this is what gripped the lives of those who pioneered the British Pentecostal churches in the modern era. Because Pentecostalism dropped off. And in the 1800s there were some little outbreaks of Pentecost. Very few Pentecostal churches. In fact, I don't think there were any in the United Kingdom. But in the beginning of the 20th century, there began to be a move of the Spirit of God. And often we think of um, the Welsh Revival, but we need to understand that the Welsh Revival was small in comparison to what was actually happening in other places as well. As local as here in Sunderland, across in America, and in other places as well. But in the United Kingdom, coming out from Sunderland and the Welsh Revival and things that were happening in other places became the Williams brothers, Daniel and Jones from the Apostolic Church, who formed the Apostolic Church. There were the Jeffrey brothers, Stephen and George, and many others like these, from out of which sprung not just the Apostolic Church and the Assemblies of God, but also the Elim Pentecostal Church as well. And history since then, just 120 years of history have passed. And it records the phenomenal growth that has taken place around the nations of the world with each of these three denominations. And why? Because these were men and women with them who fell in love with Jesus and they wanted nothing else but to live for him. As an example, when 
when we consider the statistics in the first few chapters of Acts, consider this. In 1930, so that is 15 years into the history of the Elim movement, George Jeffries held a gospel campaign in Birmingham over 14 nights. How many were saved? Have a guess. 50,000. 10,000. <laughs> it would have been great if it was 50,000. I guess that there's that many since then as a result of it, but 10,000 were saved in 14 nights and 1,000 were baptized in water. And three churches were immediately planted and within six years, 11 churches in the local area. God can do it again. The sad thing is that since the 1960s or 70s, there's been a decline and we find that so many churches have been shut. Not only within the Pentecostal movements, but other denominations as well. And this needs to be our prayer. Oh Lord, raise men and women up again with the same zeal to share the gospel. Quicken us, shake us, cause reverential fear to fall upon the church in the United Kingdom again for the glory of your name. My theme, as you know, is Jesus in the book of Acts in verse 14 says that those who believed were added to the Lord. They were added to Jesus. They were added to the Lord. And I love that little phrase, added to the Lord. And you and I this evening, as we've come to faith and accepted Jesus as Saviour and Lord, we have been added to the Lord. Now, I consider a number of ways in which we can understand this. And I only gave a brief reference to each of these. We are added by being placed in Christ. And I just love the verses in the scripture which talk about us being in Christ. Isn't that wonderful to know tonight that we're in Christ. We're hidden in Christ in God. And the in Christ scripture references are a great study in themselves. But in the book of Ephesians as an example in the first chapter, we read of either being in Christ or in him ten times in just the first 14 verses. What a privilege. What a joy to know that as being added to the Lord means that we are in Christ. Second, I see it as our being added to Christ as branches that are added to the vine as portrayed in John 15. And what an incredible connection to be connected to the vine, branches to the vine. And once connected or added to Christ, we are connected to the greatest source of spiritual health and vitality. So much so that each one of us should be producing fruit. And thirdly, I see it as being added as members to the body of Christ, the church. And how much of the wonder of this truth is lost to believers today who just do not seem to grasp the importance of the church and of regular fellowship with other believers. We have been added to the Lord. 
Well, the good news is that if we've been added to someone or added to something, then we must have been taken from something. It's common sense, isn't it? If I've been added to the Lord, then I must have been taken from something. And the good news of the gospel is that we've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and added into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of God. We've been taken from out of the horrible pit and our feet have been added or placed upon the solid rock. We've been taken out to the domain of Satan, which is the world with all its lust and its ungodly desires and added into the throng of those who have come to be known as the redeemed of the Lord. See, because we've been taken from out of all these things and so much more and have been added to the Lord, then, to use my favourite verse, we are new creations. Isn't that wonderful? We are new creations. So the old must go to allow for the new to come. So as we seek the ways of this new kingdom, the old desires should be taken from out of our lives. They should be stripped out. They should be driven out. I would put it this way. They should be violently ripped out. And new desires should be placed within us as we learn to live by the Spirit and seek to live for the glory of God alone. And if we've been added to the Lord, and if we want to live in reverential fear before the Lord, then we need to be willing to do some cutting off. We need to prune our lives daily in such a way that all that is left is that which will glorify our Father in heaven. Sadly for many, the pruning shears have been used too lightly, too little, and perhaps not at all. There are those things that they just do not seem willing to give up and to cut off. Every year in the garden I get the shoe, pruning shears out to the shrubs and to the roses. I've already done it this year, earlier than usual. And I can assure you that when I go to the shrubs and when I go to the roses, I well and truly go for it. I cut them right back. And the wonderful thing is, the following year, they are much the better for it. See, the roses this year have been far better than what they were last year. Because I cut them right back. And we regularly need to come to the gardener to ask him to prune us, as we read in John 15, instead of getting to the point where he comes along and says, I'm just going to have to cut you off. Finally, if we've been added to the Lord, we need to be careful in considering what it is we are willing to attach ourselves to. And I think a scripture that is so underlooked and overlooked, I should say, and ignored today is 2 Corinthians 6, 16 to 18, where it says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It's as clear as that in the word of God. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord is Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, 
and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. See, the word of God is so serious. And the consequences of not living according to the word of God are serious as well. Because the Lord says here that when you do these things, ensure that you don't have this fellowship, connection with unbelievers, then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. A few years ago when we were living in Imrel, um, we hadn't been there very long. I had um, what was, and I use the word tempting, an, an extremely tempting proposition made to me. Somebody, a girl from New Zealand, I say girl, she was, she was younger than me, so I'll call her a girl. A girl from New Zealand had moved over to the UK. She was living on the island of Anglesey and she'd spotted my photography. And she got in touch with me. And she said, would you like to come over to Anglesey? And I'll take you around some of the points around Anglesey which are good for photography. And uh, the end shot of it all was, I didn't actually go, but the end shot of it was that she wanted me to enter into a new business venture with her. And it was going to be a photography business. And the photography business was going to be one where we would train people into photography, take them out on tours for photography, and it was such a, a golden opportunity knowing that photography was my hobby. Uh, and if ever I was allowed to, or not allowed to, whenever I had time to, I would go out. And I, was, I had photography in galleries and everything in Wales, North Wales. But I didn't take this proposition up. Why? Because I take the word of God seriously. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And I knew that as a person who claimed to live for Jesus, there was no way that I could enter into a business practice with an unbeliever. And that could be replicated in so many different areas of life. And the reason for it all is because I'm glad that at one moment in my life that I came to know Jesus and I was added to him. Added to him. And that's more important than anything else that this world has to offer. So to close, remember that in chapter 4, we saw that the disciples had been in trouble for the healing of the lame man, for exercising power in and through the name of Jesus. Well, despite the many signs and wonders that we've read about in chapter 5, verses 12 to 16, as we come to this again the next time, we're going to discover that the troublemakers rise up again. And we will look at this and see what happens the next time. But I just trust, pray, that what I've shared tonight will some way encourage us, challenge us, bless us, as we continue to walk with the Lord in the light of his word.